This is WCPO FM 1051 on your FM dial, Cincinnati, Ohio. WKRC, Cincinnati. This is the nation station. Hi again, everyone, and welcome to the Cincy Shirts Podcast. It's episode 185. Today on our show, Jim Farmer from the Cincinnati Reds Hall of Fame and our very own OTR store. You know, I, you start to get get a little inundated with uh, with the other other teams and stuff like that. And uh, the Cincinnati Silverbacks, they're our in, indoor soccer team in the 90s. They, they were here for set three years. You know, you start to get to know the other teams in the league. So, yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I, I can navigate those defunct leagues pretty well. In addition to being the assistant curator at the Reds Hall of Fame, Jim is also a published author, Cincinnati sports historian, and once ran his own record label here in town. We talk about growing up a Cincinnati sports fan and which team had the city's heart at what time. We also chat about the Cincinnati music scene in the 90s and today, defunct area sports teams, and much more. If you've been liking the podcast, you can help support it via PayPal or Venmo. Simply use podcast at cincyshirts.com and chip in whatever you feel is fair. Also, be sure to listen for that special promo code for 20% off near the end of the episode. Now let's talk to Jim Farmer about the Reds Hall of Fame and the music scene in the 90s. Cincinnati, Ohio. Cincinnati, Ohio. I come from C-I-N-C-I-N-N-A-T-I-Cincinnati. Once in a while, I'm at com in Cincinnati. Kind of strange how you came to my attention. Clayton had suggested that I talk to you, and I didn't even realize you uh, were working at the OTR store. But um, just to give you a brief synopsis of what we do, I don't know if you've ever heard the podcast, but we usually talk about our guests' personal connection to Cincinnati and then whatever it is they do and how that relates to Cincinnati. And uh, we love stories and tangents, so feel free to go off on any that are of interest, either in your brief time at church so far or with the Reds or, uh, or, or anything else related to Cincinnati, for that matter. If you can think of a funny story that, that comes up. Um, okay. So the first thing we would ask, obviously, is are you from Cincinnati originally? I um, am 50 years old, and I have spent 50 years in Cincinnati. Uh-huh. Well, you're a little little younger than me. Uh, so, so I guess the obvious question then, and, and you know this being of a certain age, uh, what high school? Well, I actually started off in Forest Park. I, I was raised in Forest Park, um, and once my parents got a divorce, I, I moved like three times before I wound up in Anderson Township. So, oh, no kidding. Okay. Um, I consider myself from Forest Park, but I wound up in Anderson Township my high school year. So you would, uh, you would, um, would, have see, you would see me in Turpin yearbooks. Okay, that's where my daughter goes. Both my daughters went there, actually. Okay, okay. and so did our Billy DeVore. No kidding. There you, yeah, Billy's a Turpin <laughs> grad. Yeah, yeah. But you don't, you don't really consider yourself an Anderson Township native. You consider yourself more Forest Park. I, yeah, I, yeah, I am a, yeah, it would, yeah. So I, I consider myself a Forest Park charger long before I would consider myself a Turpin Spartan. Oh, gotcha, so. gotcha. It's weird because um, we've had some... We like having folks on from different communities, and we had a guy from Green Township on. He was a historian, and he was fantastic. Told us all about the history of Green Township and all that. And I've been trying to find his opposite number here in Anderson Township, and I had this one guy lined up, and then he's ghosted me, and I haven't heard from anybody ever since. And I'm like, hell, Billy and I'll do it. I've, I've lived here since 1994. I know enough about Anderson Township. I could probably do it. I would just rather have an expert, but... Anyway, I digress. Yeah. So any, if anyone's out there, by the way, who wants to talk to me about Anderson Township, info at cincyshirts.com, please. All right. So uh, graduate from Turpin. Uh, so what kind of the, is the trajectory that you wind up being a curator at the, the Hall of Fame? Like, where'd you go to college? Um, well, I'm assistant curator, just to make sure that uh, oh, okay. our curator, yeah, if my curator heard that, he'd laugh. <laughs> Um, I went to NKU, but I didn't get a, a degree in, um, I, I never got a degree in college. It's just, just one of those things, you know, I mean, worked for years in the Cincinnati music scene as a musician and I used uh, to run a record label in the nineties and, oh, okay. Um, what label? Uh, it was called Deary Me Records. Oh yeah. It, yeah. 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 I used to work at uh, everybody's news. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I knew. Well, so- you yeah, you certain, certainly have heard uh, heard about us then because we yeah, we work with we work with everybody's. Uh, um, I think when Mike Breen was there, I think Amy McDonald was there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh God, Amy McDonald. Who? That's a that's a name from way back. <laughs> 
Yeah, so I, you know, I, you know, work, you know, worked worked in the music scene for years. Then I, then I, uh, the the museum opened, and I'm I was just kind of an amateur Cincinnati sports historian, and I just applied um, and got the got got a job there, and eventually wound up getting the gig as a, an assistant curator there. So um, that's kind of how it worked. It's not your typical, uh, you know out of college, have a degree in this and that. Nope. I just, it just kind of, I it had been longevity helped me there. <laughs> so. Okay. Well, th- it's so funny. You bring up, uh, the jury me and everybody's records. There was a compilation out and I don't remember who was on it, but, uh, people we became friendly with. Do you remember the Borgia Popes? Yeah, they were on our, fr- yeah. During me records, uh, we issued a, co- uh, compilations. Um, we try to do it every like year and a half or whatever. We yeah. wound up getting, getting four out before I, before the label, um, ran out of money. But, um, in 1995, there had not been a Cincinnati, uh, compilation issued on, on, on compact disc. I know how crazy that may sound to some of the young listeners here, but, um, what's a compact you know, disc? CDs really, fans started putting their stuff on CDs really in the, in the mid nineties. It was typically cassettes or vinyl. Yep. Um, and CDs was the format that just completely, um, that was the nineties format. And, um, so we put out a Deary, we, we, they, they became known as the Deary Me Records compilations, and the Borgia Popes were on our first one. So the Borgia Popes got my wife and I on the internet. Yeah, uh, that's not surprising. I, I do believe uh, the first time I heard the word internet, it came out of their mouths. Yes, they had a website <laughs> and everything. Yep. And so uh, I was working at Everybody's News. I interviewed them for a story. It's a husband and wife team. It was Tony, and God, yep. I can't remember his wife's name. Um, you played drums. Yes, yes. Uh, lovely couple. And they, I think, were going to NKU or had just grad. They lived right off campus in an apartment. And I right. was interviewing them, and they were talking about this thing called the Internet. And it was just when those yeah. AOL discs were coming out. And I, so we went over there, and he showed us the Internet. This was right when Netscape came out. And kids are probably like, what's Netscape? Uh, it was a web browser. Kids are like, what's a web browser? We know what that is, PF, actually. But before the, there was a web browser, kids, the Internet was all text and Borgia Popes were on the internet at that point. They were on there before there were web browsers. So they showed us, um, my wife was into Winnie the Pooh at the time, collecting stuff. And so there were three Winnie the Pooh web pages. They were all text. <laughs> it was just the, the craziest thing. But he set us up with Winsock and email and all kinds of crazy stuff. And uh, from 1995 on, uh, we were on the internet. So so they weren't actually on your label. Did you have like anybody that was strictly on the label? Because I know a lot of people that were on the compilations weren't necessarily on the label. Or was it just a, a label that made compilations? No, it was no. We had <clears throat> by the by the 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 time the label um, stopped um, stopped ceased to exist. We had twenty one releases, and um, we had we didn't really. Uh, I wouldn't say we had bands specifically on our label, but we did put out specific bands. We put out uh, the Fairmount Girls' first two albums. <clears throat> um, we, we re-released a, the Wolverton Brothers' first album that was originally released on Okra Records um, out of Columbia, Columbus, Ohio. Um, we put out a band called Chalk. We put out Big Soap. We put out the Greenhorns' first, uh, first release, which was a single. <clears throat> so I wouldn't say they were on our label, but we, we worked with we, – we put the, some of their stuff out. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. Somewhere in my box of CDs here that my wife is making me go through, I'm almost certain I have at least one of the Jury Me CD compilations. I, if you were involved in everybody's uh, everybody's news back then, it, most assuredly you would have yeah, <laughs> probably yeah. have something out of our catalog. Sure. Wow. I missed the label. I, it was one of those things that um, – uh, that, that didn't work out. It's, it's just, you know, it's one of those things kind of broke my heart. So, but it's one of those things. What are you going to do? Exactly. Well, you know, you got into it at a time when I was working, my day job was at, uh, music land and Sam Goody, uh, Sam Goody up there in forest park at the forest fail mall as my former boss used to call it. <laughs> and, uh, you got into it at a time when CDs were kind of starting to be on the decline because the, the, the business model they had in the record business back then, kids, is it may hard to believe, but we had first we had vinyl and cassettes. I know you've lived on the earth, so you know this, kids. Uh, but, and then they said, hey, let's get everybody to buy everything all over again on this whole new format. And so they built right. record stores everywhere. And then the, everybody bought everything back. They were like, okay, we better start closing all these. And uh, then, of course, Napster came along and digital music and the aforementioned Internet. And then and there you have it. Did you ever think of like restarting it as like a, a digital operation or a website or anything like that? It is, it's a pipe dream. I was just talking to Nick, you know, Nick 
at the OTR store. He uh, he's the one who brought me brought me on board. He also works at the uh, Hall of Fame. Okay. Um, you know, he's a musician, and I, you know, I was just talking to him, having a conversation, and there's nothing that I would love more to bring back the label, but I just don't. I'd really have to. I, I don't know the business that well. I mean, you know, I'd have to relearn a lot of stuff. I'm, yeah. I'm starting a publishing company instead. I think I'm putting maybe putting some of that um, that that uh, that broken heart from the label into trying to do something with a with a with a publishing company. Um, you know, starting off with my own books and stuff like that. But if you, I mean, you, you said you worked at a record store. I worked at every. I worked at Borders Books and Music out in uh, Springdale. Okay. I don't know if you uh, frequented there or not, but um, I worked there from like '93 to 2001. Um, Did you know Emma but, Sanders? I think Emma Sanders wound up out there from Everybody's New. She quit the paper uh, in an editorial dispute and wound up doing that as her day job and then freelance writing on the side. Maybe she came. Maybe she came. Um, Irma Sanders. After. Yeah, it was Irma. It was, it was about the mid 90s, I think. It was before I left. I left in 95 for City Beat. So. Oh, OK. Well, did you know Sarah Hawkins by any chance? Yes, I did know Sarah Hawkins. Yeah, she worked at she worked at our location too. That's right. Uh, okay. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. And she was she was she really helped um you know get us get us exposure in everybody's uh news. You know, because that was the hip, that was that and City Beat were the hip uh, magazines to pick up and and you know, read go straight to you know, the music section and read read yep. the the latest things on the local bands and stuff like that, you know. So, but man, it's crazy to think that's almost 30 years ago. I know, it's wild. Well, the other thing I was going to say about everybody's news is I was talking to uh, Tim that works in the warehouse, uh, also just used to write a little bit for everybody's news, and uh, we were reminiscing, because he's, uh, he's our age, uh, actually he's a little younger, than I'm the oldest actually, it's, it's shocking, I am the grandpa of Cincy Shirts, which, um, <laughs> well I guess to look at me you probably would be like, yeah, I'll buy that, but anyway, um, but yeah, we were reminiscing about everybody's news and, and all that back in the day, so... You uh, after the label wraps up, what did you do then? You worked at the, you know, the the Springdale uh, Barnes and Noble, but then what did you do from there? Or concurrent well, to that, what did you do? Well, life got in the way. Um, you know, I, it's I don't want to get too personal or whatever, but it was a, it was a marital uh, marital uh, derailed <laughs> derailed because of the, mar- the 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 marriage I was in, which is one of the reasons why Dury Me uh, stopped. Ah. Um, yeah, and it's it's just I, I lost a few years there before I was, wound up getting a job at the Reds Hall of Fame and Museum. So there's there's a little bit of a lost lost years there. I, I was I was I guess you could call me a stay at home dad uh, from that from, from the okay. That. Yeah. So um, you know this without getting into <laughs> too much detail. Yeah. Well, no, that's that's a good thing though. I mean, I know a lot of uh, a lot of folks that do that. Uh, my wife and I worked opposite schedules. In the night, I worked at the airport, which means I would be there at like four in the morning until, you know, one or two in the afternoon. And then she would go work at night at uh, her night job. And, you know, we were able to balance that. I know lots of folks. My friend Pat out in Los Angeles, his uh, wife's a professor, teaches screenwriting. And he was a stay at home dad. But now his, his kids are almost grown and out of the house. But yeah, it's a it's a noble thing, sir. It's a, it's a noble brotherhood that we are in. <laughs> But yeah, so I wound up at the um, went up the Hall of Fame in '04. I'm one of the few original um, employees at that place, so I've seen that place change tremendously. So how'd you get that gig? Did you just start out as a just with a, with a regular job there, or how did you even know yeah, that? They, yeah, they call them museum ambassadors. So let's say I got you a job there, um, and and you were a paid employee. Um, they would call you a museum ambassador, but. I mean, I would. I had so many, so many skills that I, w- I was doing almost everything there. You know, around the box office. Uh, you know, picking players up at the airport and oh, nice. doing all sorts of crazy things. You know, just just endless things. Because I, you know, I, I did work in the hotel business when I was in high school. You know, so I made a lot of airport runs and stuff like that. So a lot of that stuff, um, you know, kind of went, o- um, kind of bled over into that. But you know, I mean, Chris at all, Chris Eckes, who's a museum curator, he's been there since since the start too. And I worked closely with him, and he wound up uh, a job position wound up opening that he, an assistant curator position was open, and I and he asked me to you know said you know would you be interested in this, and that's kind of kind of where it went. So okay. um, I still do everything there, but that's but I, I I'm mainly in the arch you know I have a desk down in the archives, which is down in the bowels of the ballpark, um, you know, and um, you know that's where we keep all that's where our archives is. So 
Uh, it's kind of one of those things. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll talk about the Hall of Fame in a second, but since you're uh, close to my age, I'm always curious about this, About since I grew up in Cleveland and talking to people in Cincinnati. Uh, growing up, were you obviously a, a baseball fan, but were you more so a baseball fan than a football fan? Were you both? Uh, it's always kind of hard to gauge because, you know, Cleveland, when I was growing up, strictly a football town. Baseball team was oh, yeah. terrible. Baseball team didn't get good until the 90s, and I think there's a generation, probably my wife's cousin, is it's a little bit more of a baseball town, but as soon as the Browns got good again, people forgot about baseball. So, and well, I sense that's the opposite here. From, from my my um my take on on Cleveland was when when the the Browns left for Baltimore, um and the Indians got good at the right time yep. because it seemed it seemed like that you know without the Browns you, you had a lot of this you developed a huge fan base right there. Yep. Um, I don't know if it developed or just stuck or whatever, fair weather or whatever. But um, then the new Browns came in '99. I, I don't I don't know if the interest in baseball kind of left, but there was a four year period there where the Indians had the, captured the imagination of the city, you know. And, and I don't know. You tell me, you know. Well, I think that, well I, I've lived there since '94, but of course I still follow the. I'm still a Cleveland fan. Uh, I mean, I like Cincinnati second in all in all phases. Uh, you know, the Reds are my National League team, but you know, it's I'm just yeah. I, I just can't change allegiances like that. I'm not built like that. But um, but in any case, uh, no. When the Browns showed up, there was excitement, but then the Browns quickly got terrible, and that oh, helped the Indians. And the Indians stayed competitive, and really, the Indians since the '90s, since like I got married in '92, since that uh -huh. time, they've stayed pretty competitive. They haven't really had that many terrible years. Right. Um, so I think that's helped them a lot. And again, the fact that the Browns were terrible. Helped well, a lot. Now, though, that the they seems that the Indians here have kind of given up on the 2021 season, and there's a lot of energy for the Browns nationally. Even I think we're going to see that turn again. Well, the thing is that I, I don't care what anybody says. This is not the this is not the true Browns. The the, the original Browns are in Baltimore. Uh, the organization went there. The Browns organization was top notch. You know, they moved to Baltimore and they won two Super Bowls in Baltimore. Um, this, I, I call it the faux Browns. They're just they're this, this franchise that, that, that's masquerading, took the history and masquerading as something that they're not. You know what I, I mean? I, dis I disagree. Art Modell took the, the personnel with him and he finally got, of course, he gets it right after he leaves. But uh, we all hate Art Modell. I think we can all, and even in Cincinnati, we can all agree on that because Absolutely. that was Paul Brown hated Art Modell. That's what we, when I got down here, I'm like, Browns week's a big deal. We, we I mean, uh, when the Browns played the Bengals when I was a kid, it was an important game just because they were oh, in yeah. the division. We weren't mad at the Bengals. They're the team, other team from Ohio. It's the Steelers. We hated. And yeah. so nobody was mad at the Bengals. In fact, uh, I tell the story a lot. I've, I uh, read this a long time ago. When the Bengals started, their first ever regular season game was played a week before the NFL because the leagues were still separate at that time. So yeah. the Browns started a week later. And so all these Browns fans came down to Cincinnati to cheer on Paul Brown because we still loved Paul Brown. Yeah. So nobody was mad at Paul Brown ever, and then everybody grew to hate Art Modell. And, of course, when he you know, moved the team, they hated him even more. But, uh, no, I've got to stick with the whole, the whole mythology that the names and the color and the history stayed in Cleveland. Uh, yeah. It's just tough for me <laughs> to swallow that whole our Super Bowls went to Baltimore. Which, no, uh, it's it's well, yeah, but I but you know a franchise is a fr they, the, fr the franchise. I get I have uh, one of my best friends is in, lives in Cleveland, and we have this argument all the time. He's he's for, he's under the same um, uh, opinion as yourself. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the, the franchise owns the history and owns the you know owns the, the you know the championships. It's shared with the city, but um, you know the NFL allowed this this um, this uh, this. Well, the situation that um, really kind of—I I don't know—I I think it turned the turned the history of the franchises on their heads because um, I don't know—it's just a uh, they, you know they were going to be called the Baltimore Browns. I, I think that this what what Cleveland should have done because Bal the Baltimore got over the uh, the fact that the Colts left and kept oh, the I name in the history. Oh, oh no, they did not. I still think there's people that are mad about that. Probably people, well, yeah, people doubt, of our I mean, age, you know, for the most part. I yeah, mean, the kids aren't, aren't um, mad. Yeah. But but I think what Cleveland should have done is they should have um, named the, the the expansion team the Cleveland Bulldogs. There was an NFL team in the ni in nineteen in the nineteen twenties yep. called the Cleveland Bulldogs, and they won an NFL title. And um, yeah. so you have the Cleveland Bulldogs playing in the dog pound, and you could have crossed the histories right there, then and there, and you could have celebrated even the Cleveland Rams championship in nineteen forty five. 
you know? Yeah, no, I, I like the way it shook out. I like the way I, I, the th- we got to sue the NFL and did something that no other team has ever done. A couple of teams have done it since, uh, have done the same thing. But, yeah, I've, I grew up with these Browns, the, the, the ones that started in 46. When the uh, Browns moved to Baltimore, there was so much confusion about what was going on. Their press guide listed former Colts as holding all of the Baltimore records and all of those Colts said please take us out of that we are not (laughs) Baltimore we have nothing to do with this and then of course when uh, the Ravens are now considered an expansion team their history only goes back to 1996 and the Browns history does go back to 46 and it'll be our our 75th anniversary this year so but as I was saying it's, it's weird some teams have been able to pull this off and some haven't in the Canadian Football League the Alouettes currently even though they were called the Concords at one point the CFL considers it all one franchise going back to 1946. The, in That's, hockey, the Winnipeg Jets are not, they're not the same team. The Jets history only go, or goes back to Atlanta, the, the uh, Thrashers. Right. Yeah, there's two, there were two, NA, there were two NHL uh, right. Jets. One and they wanted Phoenix. to be the Jets, but they said the Phoenix Coyotes said, no, we're keeping that history. Saw it off. Well, they, that's what, I hate to say this, but I, I, I agree with that because they own, they own, the, they yeah. own that history. Yeah, yeah. And I don't but, know what's going to go on with the Nordiques. I think the Nordiques might have a deal where they get to keep their history. I don't know how that's. I hate, I hate that because it's it's just, you know, I mean, the, the, it's like it's like somebody masquerading. I, I, like the, the 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 Charlotte Hornets have done that. The Charlotte Bobcats are now part of the Charlotte Hornets, and it's oh, just, yeah. <laughs> I can't stand that. Mess. I mean, it's 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 it, it creates a you know it just creates too much too much confusion and. You know, but anyway, but it would get back to your original question is what yes. was I a, a football fan or, or a baseball fan? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, well, um, I didn't really become a, a baseball fan until the late mid to late 80s. Um, oh, wow. And uh, because my dad never took took me to, to see sports. He never took me to games. Um, so I really kind of kind of uh, was more of a Bengals fan because they went to the Super Bowl in 81. And, and you know, I, I was more of a football fan. Um, early on, but but I started to be, develop my interest in, in baseball in the mid, really when Eric Davis, um, Eric Davis and Barry Larkin cracked onto the scene, and then of course when they won the World Series in '90, I was hooked, and that was it. So I, the more the more I got to know the the sport, the great sport of baseball, the more I started to move toward uh, being a baseball fan. Now football is like my third favorite sport. Uh, baseball and hockey are my two favorite sports. Aha. Uh-huh. Okay. So yeah, when I, I remember in the '80s. Uh, watching the Browns, it always seemed like every other year uh, we were good and the Bengals were bad and vice versa. Uh, and that seemed to go, and then the Steelers were always usually pretty good, uh, as were the Oilers, I guess, who were in our division that, at that point. Uh, but yeah, that's it's interesting how a winning team will, because uh, will, that's what happened in Cleveland. When I was going up, the Browns were just good enough to keep people's interest uh, and the Indians were not. We used to call it, the, the Indians would be good in the spring. And we used to call it the June swoon and goodbye in July. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, you know, I was watching a major league, the movie major league. And I was thinking, um, that movie came out in 1989. So what's that? 35 years after they won the, the, the 54 pennants. Yeah. And then they, they, they lost it to the giants. Yep. We're, we're almost 35 years from when that movie was made. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. I don't, I just, it, just to think about that, just kind of, <clears throat> you know, the, the Indians were, it, it was, you know, they, I think they, they could have very well lost a generation of fans. You know what I mean? I mean, 35 years is a long time. And the, the movie came out when the Indians were still terrible. Yes. But, you know, and then, then a few years later, they really started getting traction in the 94, I think 94 was when they started really to show that, show that they were yeah. the real deal. Yeah, yeah. The, 93, the, they were terrible. And it was the first year, I think, in the Jake, because I think the Jake opened the year we moved down here. Uh, and then... Yeah, they had one terrible season in the Jake, and then they got all that that roster together: Kenny Lofton, Sandy Alomar Jr., Albert Bell, all those guys. And that's when they went to the you know World Series, and of course uh, lost to Atlanta first, and then to Florida a couple of years later. And oh man, that Florida, that Florida. I don't know. The, the Braves are kind of my uh, backup National League team. Um, the that was the Braves' year. They they tore us up in the in the NLCS. The Reds. Um, I don't think that I don't think any, anybody was going to stop them that year. But that that '97 series, man. If I was a Cleveland Indians fan, I, I would have been fit to be tied. To, to you know, to lose to the Marlins, who oh. bought that championship. Oh yeah, but, yeah. Um, I mean, what were you like? Four outs away from winning that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh man, Jose Mesa. Oh, I, I'm I'm getting PTSD just talking about it. Oh man. Yeah. 
It's almost <laughs> a, although that that the Cubs thing was was even worse. Yeah, three, I've got three games to one, and then, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, Rajay Davis hits that home run, and we think, oh, okay. But as soon as that rain started falling, I looked at my wife, and she looked at me, and we're like, we're done. We're done. Wow. <laughs> For some reason, we just had a feeling that was going to be it. And it's funny because um, I was listening to a, a podcast, Jimmy Pardo's podcast, and his buddy Mike Siegel is on. They're all from Chicago. Uh, Pardo's a White Sox fan, but he was rooting for the Cubs, and Siegel's a Cubs fan. And he, Siegel was re- recounting that watching it at a bar in Chicago, and he goes, when Rajay Davis hit that home run, the air just went out of the room. And I'm like, well, obviously you didn't know who you were playing, sir, because <laughs> that's just us. You, we're we're uh, snake-bit more than you guys are. Um, so yeah, well, you had two snake-bitten teams playing each other. I mean, it was interesting. Exactly, yeah, you- yeah. I'm, I'm surprised it didn't end in a tie. I know, <laughs> right? <laughs> they had to cancel the series for some reason. Or it would have been like another one of the earthquake situations. But I was talking to Pardo later about that, and I asked him, was he rooting hard for the Cubs, or was he like, since he's a White Sox fan, did he want them to lose? And he goes, oh, no, no, I'm, for the, I'm from Chicago. I was rooting for the Cubs. You know, the White Sox are his team. And he goes, but that was still great for baseball, don't you think? And I'm like, and he knows I'm an Indians fan. I'm like, no, no, it's, it was not great for baseball. It's not great for me. Yeah, I don't care. <laughs> I'm, not happy for, I'm not happy for the Cubs. I'm, I'm not, you know, I wasn't, I don't care if the Bengals played in one of the, one of the best Super Bowls of all time, Super Bowl 23. I don't yeah. care about how great uh, Joe Montana was down, going down that drive. Exactly. They, my, my team lost. Exactly. They were about ready to win. They, 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 they um, had two minutes to go and our, our defense fell apart. And no, I'm not happy. I'm still was, not, I'm still not over that. I was rooting for the Bengals, man. There was another Ohio team. It was, you know, the AFC. I was an AFC guy. And I, a, a story I might have told it on the podcast before, speaking of that Super Bowl. So the DeBartlow's owned the 49ers, uh, at the time. I don't know if they still do or not, actually. I don't think they do. But anyway, they did at the time. And they're from Youngstown. My cousins are all from Youngstown. So we were, I was down there on Christmas break and there was the playoffs and the Youngstown Vindicator said that the people in Youngstown should be rooting for the DeBartlows uh, because, you know, they, they're from Youngstown and they own the, the 49ers. And my oldest cousin is like, they think we should root for that little squirrel because his old man bought him a football team. <laughs> Anybody wasn't having it. Eddie DeBartlow was a little squirrel. That always made me laugh. But, um, so it, it's with the, the Bengals were, I mean, it wasn't a situation like in Cleveland for you where like the Indians were terrible and the Browns were pretty good. The Bengals were pretty competitive in the 80s and the and Reds we were, were, you know, going toward we, that World Series in 90. Know, the Bengals were good in the 70s and the 80s. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, Cincinnati in the 70s, I, I you know, I lived, I lived through it, but I don't remember it. Um, but, you know, the, the, the Bengals won two division titles and one wild card. And of course, the Reds won six division titles, uh, four pennants, and back-to-back World Series. You know what I mean? So, yeah. and we had the Cincinnati Stingers, and um, you know, we had the Royals early in the '70s, but that really—I don't really think that counts. But I think it would have been a good time to be be a Cincinnati sports fan. Oh, for sure, for sure. And uh, and then you had a one-year dalliance with indoor soccer, and, and <laughs> you talk about the kids. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, actually. The um, Cincinnati Comets were a soccer team in the um, in the early seventies, and they were uh, league champions in nineteen. Oh, that's right. Yeah, uh, that's right. And they went to the finals. They won the first year and went to the finals the second year again, but lost or vice versa. I can't remember. Our... Yeah, I'm not I'm not that well versed in Cincinnati Comets history yet, just yet. But <laughs> uh, we have a, an episode with our friend Ronnie Salerno who we we talked about the Comets. Uh, oh really? He's well versed in them, yeah. So I was going to ask, because uh, Clayton had brought this up when suggesting you to be on the show. Are are you a fan of defunct leagues and sports in general, or more so Cincinnati's sports history and how it relates to that? Well, everything starts in in, in my hometown, and then you know, as I um, move out, <laughs> you know, well, you know, I, you start to get get a little inundated with uh, with the other other teams and stuff like that, and uh, of the leagues, you know, you know, like the. The Cincinnati Silverbacks. They're our in, indoor soccer team in the '90s. Um, they they were here for set three years. You know, you start to get to know the other teams in the league. So yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm well aware of. I, I can navigate those 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 um, defunct leagues uh, uh, pretty well. You know what I mean? I mean, I'm you know I'm, I'm I have a book. I get I'm working on a book series that covers 150 years of. Um, professional sports in Cincinnati uh, that that includes major and minor league teams um, it's going to be a five volume series I volume one's already out I, I already published it um, oh wow I'm working I'm working on volume two 
but um, I'm currently in 1925. But when I okay. get into the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, and, and beyond, I'm going to be um, including, you know, all the Cincinnati Mohawks, the Cincinnati Comets, the Cincinnati, um, you know, Wings. I mean, it, it's going to it's going to have everything in it. So volume the the, the third volume of, of my book series will cover 1930 to 1959. So there's going to be a lot of fun stuff in that one. So, um, you know, I don't know. I don't know how to, if that answered your question or not. No, it, it, it does. It's funny you should you mention that. I've been, I've always, you know, I always talk to people that write books and I'm always so jealous that people, except I've, I've probably written enough, you know, in bits and pieces for, you know, newspapers and websites and all this other stuff. By this time, probably have written several books, but I could just never imagine sitting down and you know, writing a whole book. And one of the things I thought about writing about, and you, you might beat me to this, is a history of the Cincinnati Stingers. Um, some guy well, already I'm, beat me to the Crusaders. Uh, his book is coming out in October. It's actually about the Cleveland Barons, but there's a big chapter on the Crusaders. So, um, yeah, well, the, yeah, the Crusaders were nudged. Out. I think they were nudged out of town um, when when the, um, the they were trying to bring in the, the Golden Seals. What yeah. Did the, what, did yeah, they yeah. have the same owners? Did the Crusaders have the same owners as no, the Barons? No, no, the um, the deal was uh, Nick Maletti owned the Crusaders. This won't be very interesting for people in Cincinnati, but if you're interested in, in World Hockey Association hockey and the Stingers' main rival, the Crusaders, Maletti owned the team, sold the team uh, to a guy whose name I can't remember. The guy couldn't even make payroll uh, right. toward the end of the season. Maletti reluctantly bought them back and then tried to unload them on uh Bill DeWitt, who worked for the Atlanta Thrashers, he was the GM. He later was uh, president of the Birmingham Balkans and Americans of the World Football League. But uh, he was going to move them to Jacksonville, Florida. And uh, so finally, Maletti unloaded the team on to him. And the Golden Seals were going to be brought by the Guns to Cleveland to be the Cleveland, the new Cleveland Barons, the NHL Cleveland Barons. But they would not make the move until Maletti and uh, DeWitt assured them that the Crusaders would not be playing in Cleveland in 1978, in the fall of 1978. And that's that's what happened there. Okay. So I lost my team. My team was the Crusaders. I grew up with the Crusaders. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That, that would make sense. Yeah. I mean, they. Um then they they uh, they moved to Minnesota and became the second Fighting Saints, I think. Yeah, and they lasted half a season and they were gone. Yeah, they were. I, I like the fact that they took the colors. They just took the old logo of, of the first uh, yeah Fighting Saints and they kept the kept. I think I, I see. I like when teams do that. But no, the you now getting back to the, your your book idea. My my book is a chronicle. So, yeah. um, you know, it, it's it it, it it covers you know like it, you flip to nineteen. Currently, you flip to nineteen. Let's we'll just say nineteen nineteen. Um, and you, it, you'll you see entries of what the Reds did on a particular day. And, a, you know, oh, wow. I don't know if you're, I don't know if you're familiar with Red Lake Journal or, or Cleveland in, Indians Journal or anything like that. Um, those books. But it's, it's more of a journal. So if you were thinking about writing a book on the Stingers, yours would be yours would be like a, a book, a book book. Mine's mine's a uh, a, um, a chronicle. You oh, know what nice. I mean? oh, that's cool. I, I do love me a good chronicle. I've got the, I'm looking at the World Football League Encyclopedia over here on my desk, okay. which has all the stats from uh, both seasons of, well, the season and a half of the World Football League uh, wasn't in, in existence. Yeah, what's interesting about the Stinger story is that they, uh, the Cincinnati should have been in the NHL. Absolutely. And, uh, they were, they were uh, refuted, even though when the NHL was expanding like crazy to compete with the World Hockey Association, and Bill DeWitt tried to get the uh, to get Cincinnati into the NHL, was all set to build this building, which he ended up building anyway. And the NHL said no. So he said, well, heck, I'll just take my business to the World Hockey Association. And that's how we got the Stingers. Yeah, and, and it's, it was a terrible move, too. Um, as it turned out. He was, he, was, he, was say, he was very specific about not going to uh, get a, getting a team in the, this, quote-unquote, inferior league, uh, which was the WHA. <clears throat> and... Um, I believe the Stingers and the and or Cincinnati and Kansas City were going to be the expansion. Yeah. Um, and and Washington came in and, and kind of threw their weight around. And they wound up getting the expansion team uh, from Cincinnati. And uh, but the NHL said, "Listen, just sit tight. We'll get you a team. Just sit tight. You know what I mean?" Yeah. And had had they sat sat tight, they would have probably been able to buy the Kansas City Scouts and moved them to Cincinnati instead of. The, the, the franchise being sold and, and, and moved to Colorado to become the Colorado Hockey Rockies. Yep. But no, instead, DeWitt goes into the WHA, gets an expansion team there. Um, and then after the 76, during the 76, 77 season, um, there was going to be an actual merger, an NHL WHA merger 
uh, with the Stingers, um, the Arrows, the uh, Nordiques, the Jets, the Whalers, and the uh, Oilers, those six teams are going to move into the NHL and, and be in their own division. Um, but it failed by one vote. And uh, so the, the WHA strung it out for another couple years, and then after the 78-79 season, um, it, it wasn't really a merger. If you're, if you, if you, it was more of a, a another expansion, an yeah. expansion in the WHA city. So that's why, if you look at the Edmonton Oilers statistics, there's there's nothing of there's no uh, their statistics don't go back into the WHA because they it wasn't a merger. It, it was more of an expansion and paid the WHA basically to go away. Yeah. Um, uh, Bill DeWitt Jr. took the money and ran, and now he's the owner of the St. Louis Cardinals. <laughs> and it's it's weird because yes, yeah, it's uh, weird because uh, the, one of the the WHA owners fought to get all the Cana- the surviving Canadian teams into the league, and that left Houston, New England, and Cincinnati. Uh, right. The NHL said we're not putting a team in Houston, and so Houston just folded up their tent, and then it came down to Cincinnati and New England, and people, there's a, a myth out there that, well, New England was better supported. That's not true. The Stingers no. had better attendance that final season than did the Whalers, but for right. some reason, the Whalers were able to uh, finagle their way uh, in by, leave. well, I guess they'd left Boston a few years earlier and were in Hartford, which is weird to think that a team in Hartford, Connecticut, would be able to have more pull than a team in Cincinnati, Ohio. You know, which is still a top twenty TV market. Uh, very well, strange. I, I think that I think that that Bill Dewitt Jr. was 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 I think responsible for that because the Cincinnati Stingers in the, their last season seventy eight seventy nine they were um, they were really good and yeah. and and then um, then Bill Dewitt Bill uh, Dewitt started selling off the players and trading them off and. In in the middle of the season, he was gutting the team. It was it was like he was he he knew he knew in advance that he was going to dump the team and take the money and run. And that's why I think maybe the WHA or the NHL said, "Well, hell, I mean, we only got that's one other true. option." Yeah, I mean, they had stronger ownership in uh, New England uh, in terms of that uh, for sure. Um, I don't know if you've listened to other episodes of the podcast, but we had um, these guys on early on. We were told we were getting some actual Cincinnati Mohawks, uh, and it turns out we were kind of rooked a little bit. Uh, these guys played for what was called the Junior Mohawks. It was yeah. kind of a semi-pro team, but it has a happy ending because these guys had all kinds of great stories, not only from those days because they were still close to the actual Mohawks, but they stayed in hockey in one form or another in town through all the other teams that played here. And the one guy uh, used to do equipment for the Stingers, and he told this great story about how when the Russians came uh, to play, he says the Russians didn't believe in washing their uniforms. And you didn't want to go anywhere near that bench by the time they got to Cincinnati because it was like, you know, the 12th game they'd played on this run of WHA teams. And it was like, it smelled terrible. Huh. Yeah. Well, I mean, was, was it, were any of the guys uh, by the name of Bruce Chamberlain? That rings a bell. I think it might have been. Uh, we have a Bruce Chamberlain that works at the Hall of Fame, and he was a, he was a former junior Mohawk. I think so. Was, I think it, I think it is Bruce. Yeah, and they had, they told some fantastic stories from not only like I said not only the Mohawks, but uh, I think even the Wings the the year they were here after their arena yep. burned down in Indy, and yeah, they had all kinds of great stories. A lot of fun. So if you're hockey fans, go back and dig up that episode. Uh, it's a oh lot yeah, of fun. yeah. Well, that's that's good to know. I, I was I was unaware of all uh, of the podcast. What's what's the goal of these? Just uh, I you know. Um, I didn't know Cincy Shirts had something like this. Yeah, just basically like, you know, I was explaining to you, uh, we we look for stories of, uh, you know, folks that uh, have personal stories about Cincinnati, but as it's related to something they do, be it, you know, work at the Reds Hall of Fame or, you know, the Cincinnati Museum Center, or, you know, we've had several people from the zoo on, and we talk about not only their discipline at the zoo, we've had like the, the cat, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Curators, not curators. So they think, or keepers. They call them keepers. There's the Pacific Zoo keepers for the cats. We've had them on. Thane Maynard was on. So we did, yeah, we talk about their specific discipline and how that relates to Cincinnati. But then also, you know, you know, did you grow up here? Why why did you come here? You know, all all those different things. So and then yeah, we just discuss and celebrate the history of the the city from from all aspects. Well, I mean the the. You know the all, all the, the deep um, catalog of um, images and stuff like that that can be made with uh, you know put on a onto a T-shirt shows that that Cincy Shirts is a very um, <clears throat> nostalgic uh, you know business and people like nostalgia. I think our I think Generation Xers like you and I 
and baby boomers too. There's a lot of nostalgia uh, yes. with with us, and you know. When the old guy, there's this old guy, he walked into the store today and he saw a Cincinnati Swords shirt, uh, shirt, and he, he, you know, he started telling stories about. He used to be a ticket taker at at, at the gardens, um, and he was telling us about, um, you know, the Cincinnati Swords. So he he had some inside stories on them. You know what you know what I mean? And oh, nice, yeah. Um, I think that the podcast is a good um, a good um, way to uh, enhance the Cincy shirts. Uh, you know, business and stuff like that. I Definitely. don't know if that makes any sense or not. No, no, perfectly. And we were able to use, uh, well, we posted last week's episode about the American Basketball Association, uh, not only on the Cincy Shirt site, but on our sister site, Old School, uh, because we're kind of doing that for other towns. Uh, some towns, you know, better than others, but, uh, you know, Old School's been doing very well for that very reason. Like you said, people, you know, especially of a certain age, like our, in our age bracket, you know, really like nostalgia and, you know, of things things that were things the the things that used to be in sports as our friend tim hanlon of the good seat still available podcast likes to say yeah um, so. well i you know i mean um uh, i lost my thought we're talking about uh nostalgia here uh lost my train of thought <laughs> anyway next well, well, i was gonna ask about uh when the hall of fame you know your duties there and the, the duties of your uh superior there so as a curator, uh, I'm curious, what kind of things does the Hall of Fame look for? Because my daughter works at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame up in Cleveland, and they're inundated with stuff. Most of it they can't really use or aren't really interested in. We're, we're, yeah, we have similar – similar. Um, I wouldn't call it an issue. It's always a good problem having a lot of stuff. Oh, sure. Here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, we we always take – we take donations. We don't buy, buy from people. So – if somebody wants to donate something, you know, I mean, we we, we will take it. Uh, most of the stuff that we have on our displays uh, belongs to the belongs to the museum. It's it's our it's ours, you know. It's part of the collection, you know, and which is really cool. The Castellinis have been really, um, especially Phil. He's, um, you know, he likes the idea of of, of the museum having uh, Cincinnati having a museum like that because you know how many other uh, sports teams have museums? You know, I mean, Packers have one. Uh, the Cardinals have one, um, you know, but mainly these, these hall of fames that these other teams have, they're just plaques on a wall somewhere in the ballpark, you know? Yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, you know, we got, we, we have, uh, you know, a deep, deep catalog of stuff and it's just great. Um, uh, you know, knowing that we have all this stuff in, in stock, you know, when something pops up, Oh yeah, we had like a few years back, uh, uh, Tom Browning, celebrated i can't remember it was the 30 year anniversary i think it was a 30 year anniversary of him going on that rooftop in chicago when he would went up uh, on the rooftop you know you know where those fans have their uh chair they they have they, they're seated outside of the ballpark at yeah. Wrigley Field. yeah yeah you know what I'm talking about. yeah yep well in, in 1993 browning went out went out there and he went up there and he was sit, sitting up there on the ledge and he's waving with his hat off and there's a there's a popular picture of him up there. Well, it was a 30 year anniversary, and they went went up there um, to kind of it was a little bit of a mini celebration. And we had the jersey in stock, or you know, we had the jersey in our archives. You know what I mean? And so it was neat to be able to pull that out and and move it move it to the proper people. And he he put the put the jersey on again. You know what I mean? So you know that it, it's really neat. Um, you know, coming across um, you know artifacts and stuff like that in that capacity, but we do get a lot of stuff, you know, but you know, it's, we, we have so much that, you know, people want to bring pennants and, and programs and scorecard and we have, we have so much, so much of that stuff already, yeah. but you know, we, we, we could always use a second, <laughs> you know what I mean? We can always use a duplicate. So you were there from the beginning. Did this collection exist before or did, when they decided that we're going to have a hall of fame in the new ballpark and then people started thinking, well, geez, we better start getting some stuff to put in this thing. How did that cut the collection come together? Well, a, a, a lot of the stuff early on was was on loan, so a lot of it didn't. Uh, some of the stuff just belonged to the Reds before the museum opened, just stuff that they held on to. Okay. But it, but the, the but the archives really started. It started really develop. Uh, you know, the deeper you know, year in and year out, it just got deeper and deeper. Uh, more more things became uh, part of the museum. You know, the museum was 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 was, uh, was out there, and people appreciated and they started donating stuff. So it really, I, I'm guessing all, all museums kind of start off with a small amount, amount. It's like a record collection. I have my own record collection, but then I start getting, you know, you know, I start, um, adding to it. You know what I yeah. mean? It just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. 
And that, that's exact. That's a similarity to what happened with the Reds Hall of Fame. But you know, you start off with a core core group of things, and you um, you know, I guess augment it with uh, a lot of loan stuff. But the loan stuff is becoming fewer and far between now. It just keeps getting bigger and bigger. It's really cool. And do things get switched out a lot, like uh, museums tend to do, like the art museum does, and I guess the Rock Hall does the same thing up in Cleveland, uh, where exhibits are switched out in favor of other things. Oh yeah, yeah, we rotate stuff. So I mean, every every year, um, you you, walk, you come through the museum. There's something. There, there's going to be something new, and mainly in our on the first. It's have you ever been through the museum? You know, I think I might have been years ago, right when the ballpark opened. I have some recollection okay, so of going through it, but. But it's it's like a we did a remodeling back in 2019 and it's 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 totally different now from what it was uh, okay. pre that obviously but uh, you know we have a first floor and a third floor and the first floor we typically change out the the main the main area there with some some kind of new exhibit right now we have we have a, a exhibit there that uh, commemorates pennants I'm a big pennant fan I love pennants and you know there's just pennants champ we have our championship some of our championship banners hanging on display. But that like that area always changes out. And then, you know, throughout the, the museum, there's little spots that we may change out uh, for something. If something important pops up or, you know, something neat, uh, let's just, you know, like a, a, a like Homer Bailey throws through a through a no hitter. And then we, we, we may add a uh, impromptu kind of display, put one together and put our put pieces of stuff that we have from Homer Bailey into this exhibit. So, yeah, things change out. They don't just stay, uh, stay you know, as is. Um, indefinitely so homer bailey my first no hitter i was so excited you were, oh you were at the game yeah yeah we went uh by i think we it was just randomly decided you know we go to a couple games a year we went to that game usually my girls will last uh, into the sixth inning <laughs> if we're lucky yeah. uh, all three yeah. of them by my wife and the two daughters and so we're there it's the sixth inning i'm looking at the scoreboard and my wife's like well what we leave in the seventh thing and i'm like no she no. goes, why not? I'm going, we can't leave. She goes, why not? I'm like, I can't tell you. She can't tell you. <laughs> I can't well, tell you. She, 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 so I was hoping she'd figure it out. I'm like, look at the scoreboard. And I, you know, cause I didn't want to say anything. So I don't want to jinx this. I don't want to be the, 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 the right. schmuck that ruins it for everybody. I'm like, look at the scoreboard. And I said, look, look at all those zeros there. She, she, and then she finally was like, oh, that's, I said, don't say it. Don't say it. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that was against the Pirates. This first was against the Pirates, wasn't it? No, it was against. Uh, oh God, I'm gonna. Uh, I, I think it was against the Pirates. I th- um his his second one was in 2013. I think that was against the Giants, but it, it was. Um, I think I saw the second one. I remember now. God, how embarrassing! I was all excited to, to talk about my first no hitter. Now I can't remember who it was against. Which, oh, it was dear, in dear. July. Well, I, I was. Uh, I went to. I went to. I was at a Rush concert. Rush was uh, playing at Riverbend, and uh, they were playing two sets. And I remember the. After the first set, me and I, the, the Chris Drew, uh, Chris Drew was a friend of mine that I went with. Him and I both worked at the work. He worked at, used to work at the museum as well. We, we were at the concert when we took a um, a break during during their um, their intermission. I bumped into some people from from the Reds front office. I said, "Hey, how you doing?" And they're like, "Hey, man, Homer Bailey's pitching a perfect game." I'm like, "Oh my god! I mean, that's great for him, but I don't want to be preoccupied thinking about that. Yeah. I want to finish watching this concert." He 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 lost the perfect game, but he held on to the no hitter. Um, so that was the second one, and I think that was against the Giants. That sounds right. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't, wouldn't let my family leave, and thankfully they they stayed. <laughs> they didn't insist on leaving. <laughs> yeah, so, um, yeah. You don't you don't leave something like that. You, you don't, and you can and you can't say anything either. But uh, yeah, that's that that's a fun memory. Um, so the the collection was. Things they held on to, I guess. Do they hold on to more stuff now, knowing that they have a museum to actually put it in, or are they still kind of judicious about what's what they keep? No, no, we um, we're if, if something important happens, we try to get some, a piece of it in some some way, shape, or form. So yeah, they're they're pretty. Red uh, the Reds ownership's pretty on, on the ball about about that. Working with us, and we work at, clearly working with them. You know. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, if, if something something of importance comes 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 through you know if it winds you know i i don't want to get into a lot of the a lot of the business uh wranglings and stuff like that with with how a lot of the stuff works but you know that we're certainly in in the conversation when something important happens you know to to archive it and keep it keep it uh with the museum so and is it run independently of the reds or is it part of the reds organization i reckon it'd be the latter right 
Well, yeah, the, the, the Cincinnati Reds Hall of Fame Museum is its own business. Uh, I think we're the only, <laughs> only uh, we, we take cash. The ballpark doesn't anymore. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, but yeah, so we, we, we're run independently. It's a nonprofit organization. Okay. And, um, the archives you mentioned are on the ballpark ground. You don't have any offsite storage like museums send to do or. No, we have some offsite. I mean, okay. some of the big pieces, some of the big pieces like the, uh, you know, the, the retired number, uh, jerseys that used to be in Riverfront stadium. I don't know if you remember those. Uh, yeah. Or not. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, stuff like that gets gets stored away offsite. We just can't. We just don't have a lot of room for that. You know, the the, the stuff that we have on site is more, um, you know, jerseys and stuff that's more manageable, not the big stuff. Okay. So, yeah, sense. we have we have stuff. We have some uh, stuff that we keep offsite. Yeah. Okay. Cool. And the museum is open. What times? What are the hours of the museum? Uh, we're open ten to five on non-game days, and that's that's all year round. So that's seven days a week. Oh but wow. If there's a, yeah, it, it gets a little um, gets a little, with the exception of if the Bengals are in town, we're not open on on on, on Sundays uh, if the Bengals are in town. So there are a few exceptions. Okay, but if if, there, if there's a game like tomorrow, there'll be a game, uh, a night game. We'll be open till eight o'clock, and oh, the nice. hours kind of change a little bit if there's a game. Like today, they stayed open two hours after the game ended because it was a day game. Okay, so all right, but and admission is typically nine to nine nine to five. Okay, and admission is how much roughly? Uh, it all depends. Uh, it's like twelve dollars for adults, eight for senior citizens, okay. um, eight for uh, students. It's free for kids and free for military. All right. And uh, do you ever like? We always ask people to work at museums this question. Do you like visit other museums when you're traveling and, and get ideas and bring them back to your museum? Or absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. I um, I'm not um, I'm not exactly well traveled just yet. If if I ever go to St. Louis or. Um, you know, Cooperstown or whatever, I would hope that we could, uh, that our, that our uh, museum, um, uh, that, that our, that the big guy would, uh, arrange it so that I could get into, um, our museum director would arrange it so that I could actually go back and take a look at the, uh, their archives and see some of the, some of their techniques and stuff like that. Uh, you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's interesting you say how the Reds are one of the few pro teams to have their own hall of fame. As I think about it, that's, that's very true. And if you're, like you said, a a team does have something. It's usually a display case in the arena. Uh, I know the Columbus Blue Jackets have a, a display of hockey history from Ohio, but it yeah. is basically like three or four big display cases. I think they have a yep. Stingers jersey and a Crusaders jersey. Good on okay. them. But yeah, that's it. There's no actual uh, boy. The Browns and the Indians need to get that sorted. Yeah. Well, the, the, yeah. To to this isn't splitting hairs or anything, but you know, there, we, we have a museum, the Reds museum and we have a hall of fame and museum. Yeah. So, yeah. So, I mean, a lot of teams have hall of fames and like, like you said, and like I, I well, mentioned yeah. earlier, they're just, you know, they induct somebody into their hall of fame and they, they hang a plaque somewhere in the ballpark. But yeah, I mean, we have a, we have a full blown, uh, museum, you know? And, yeah. And that's the you thing, know. you know, when people always talk about, you know, and full disclosure, our former employee and my daughter, uh, worked at the rock and roll hall of fame and museum in Cleveland. But the thing, you know, people always complain about people who gets in the Rock Hall of Fame. I don't care. I like the fact that it's a museum. I, well, I, I, I mean, yeah, the Beach Boys are in it. They're my favorite group. That's fantastic. I want to see actual stuff. <laughs> well, that's that's the thing is I don't really. I think that the the Rock and Roll Museum is fine. I the whole Rock the Hall of Fame uh, angle of it is is a whole different argument. Yeah. But, um, I don't. I yeah. I'm not a. I'm not a big fan of a, a Hall of Fame for music. I mean, music is is it's it's a, it's that's based in taste. But regardless of the fact that I don't like like having inductees and all that other stuff, it doesn't take away from the fact that they they're they're a museum. You know what I mean? Right, you go exactly. there. You don't just look at a plaque of, you know, the Red Hot Chili Peppers or whatever. You yeah. know, you you go in and you see stuff. And that's that's you know that's the. That's the give and take that I take with with the Rock and Roll quote unquote Hall of Fame. <laughs> yeah, I think it's cool. I can see the uh, the Mellotron that John Lennon used on Strawberry Fields. They have that. Yeah. Uh, I'm not even a B, big B52s fan, but one piece they had there, which just fascinated me, was they had this little eight note keyboard which they used for the bass parts of the first two albums. Yeah. And it's this little junky looking thing, and I'm like, that's fantastic that that's sitting there, and that's yeah. what they used to play the bass parts on that album. And again, not even a huge B52s fan, but I'm a fan of the of the era, and I, to me that was just just great. So uh, I guess that yeah, was... yeah, they didn't have a bass player; they had a guitar player, <laughs> a drummer, and yeah. three singers. <laughs> yes, uh, four. 
the two girls, Fred and uh, uh, occasionally, I guess, no, I guess it would be three because Keith didn't, he only sang background. Never mind. And uh, Ricky didn't sing much either. They all just, Okay. Okay. So, uh, yeah, so you can tell I'm not much of a B-52s fan because I didn't really know that off the top of my head. Well, uh, cool, man. Do you, th- you think you see yourself doing anything uh, with your love of music? As, uh, you said you were talking about the publishing. What kind of uh, what kind of things do you have planned for that? Or are you going to stick with the sports books for now? Well, um, I'm going to do kind of what I did with with Fury Me Records. I'm going to release uh, my works first, just to get a get you know to get an understanding of how how the business works. You know, I worked in bookstores, and a uh, publishing company is I, I would say pretty similar to a record label. I mean, there's differences clearly, but um, now I'm going to start off with my stuff first. Uh, it, it's going to be the, the stuff that I want to publish is is mainly American history. Um, you know, zoning in on, on the age of discovery, 1492, up pro- probably up to like the 1920s. That, okay. That's kind of, you know, and it's not going to be just, just sports books. I, I want it to be, um, history, you know what I mean? Not yeah. just sports history, okay. but yeah, I'm going to start off with my books and, you know, figure out a lot of the, uh, you know, how, how to, how to work, work the industry and stuff like that with my own stuff. So if I fail, uh, on if I fail on uh, some of the books, they're my books that I'm failing on, not somebody else's. Okay, cool. All right, well, this has been a fun chat. I really enjoyed this. I'll have to. Um, it, it seems weird we haven't met in person, having working for the same company, but you know, COVID. So, lots well, of you know, we, we very well may have uh, met back in the '90s somehow. That's true. Yeah, <laughs> we, maybe I ran into you at a, at a show or something. Um, but we've reached the point in the show where uh, I don't know if you're familiar or enough or not, but we let the guest pick the coupon code. Uh, for the next episode, and th- this is a code that they can use online, both at Cincy Shirts and Old School Shirts, or they can come in the store and bother you with it and say, hey, I'd like to use the podcast code, and then whatever the code is uh, of your choosing. So for this episode, until the next episode drops, what would you like the code to be so uh, listeners can save 20% off their order? Now, what do you mean by code? Do yeah, I just make like up a word, or like... it could be a small phrase, uh, a couple of words. What about a number? Uh, I, I can spell out the number. That would work. Because uh, I was thinking 1882. That was the year the Reds won their first pennant. People don't know about oh, that championship. Okay. I'll try. I don't know if it'll work in Shopify. I'll try 1882. Do you want to have a backup instead of having to spell out 1882? Yeah, let me think. Lombardi. I like Ernie Lombardi. Okay, so folks, I will try this. And then on the other side, when I do the outro and the wrap up, I'll let you know which of these worked. Uh, we'll, we'll try 1882 first. The number is 1882. If that doesn't work, We'll go with Lombardi, and I'll let you know on the other side how that turns out. Well, uh, Jim, I appreciate you doing this uh, on a what, Wednesday evening. Uh, b- our teams were off tonight, so although the soccer team is playing, so uh, right. we had to miss that. But, uh, yeah, this is a fun conversation. I love talking about this stuff. And uh, well, I'm sure we'll be chatting more soon in the, in the future at various Cincy Shirts uh, locations. Yeah, absolutely. It'd be nice to meet you, uh, you know, face to face. And uh, I appreciate you inviting me on. Great. All right. Well, thanks again. And we'll talk to you later. All right. Take care. Thanks, Jim. Bye. Bye. Jim Farmer. That's uh, Fame by David Bowie, of course. Uh, weird, That's the. there's two versions of Fame that I have in my iTunes. One is from Changes Bowie, the greatest hits compilation that came out in 1990, and it's Fame 1990. They remixed it for some weird reason for that release. This is the original version you're listening to, and I really couldn't tell the difference until I listened to them side by side. The uh, 90 version has more horns in it and stuff. I don't know why they needed to remix it. Here's a weird thought. Uh, when Fame 90 came out, Fame was 15 years old. Now, Fame 90 is 31 years old. Isn't that weird? So anyway, Anyway, uh, there's that for you. Hope you enjoyed that. Uh, and, and we talked about the 90s. That's kind of appropriate uh, for that reason as well. Of course, you can find all your Reds Hall of Fame information. Just Google Cincinnati Reds Hall of Fame. And uh, I think if you go to the Reds website, it'll take you the, all the information there. And uh, yeah, and uh, hopefully Jim will get his record label going again. And you can uh, you know look for his books and so forth. And or go say hi to him at the OTR store. Now, if there's someone you'd like to hear on the show, simply email podcast at cincyshirts.com. Uh, put podcast guest in the
the subject line, then maybe give us two or three sentences about why you think that person would be a good guest for the show. Or if you want to volunteer yourself, uh, we would welcome that as well. Be sure to tell friends and loved ones about the show too, including folks who may no longer live in the area but still feel connected to the tri-state. As always, check out the Cincy Shirts podcast archives wherever you got this episode. I just plunder back through there and listen to all the other episodes. Today's show is produced by me with help from Josh and Darren. Our theme music is Cincinnati by Big Nothing, who are from Philadelphia. Find their music at Apple Music, Spotify, or wherever else you get your music. Find vintage tees from great places like Boston, Phoenix, Pittsburgh, Cleveland, Louisville, Seattle, Philadelphia, and tons and tons more at OldSchoolShirts.com. It's like Cincy Shirts, but for those towns with the same mix of, you know, defunct sports teams, old shopping malls, old restaurants, that sort of affair, TV personalities, old TV stations, radio stations. And again, the promo code for this episode is 1882 is an 1882. That does work. So I wasn't sure it was going to, but I have confirmed that will work to take 20% off your entire CincyShirts.com or OldSchoolShirts.com order, or you can go into OTR and say hi to Jim, or go into the Hyde Park store and say hi to anybody there, and say I'd like to use my podcast code 1882 to take 20% off my order, please. Follow our social channels, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Snapchat for the latest in C-shirts news. Tell your friends about the show. Give us a good review wherever you get the podcast from. And as always, download or stream us next time. Bye. I said goodbye